and welcome to Locked On NFL, the number one daily National Football League podcast on the number one daily sports podcast network. I am Brian Peacock along with Matt Williamson. You can find us on Twitter at BD Peacock and Williamson NFL. You can find this program and all of the shows here on the network. Your team is covered on the Locked On Podcast Network on all of your favorite podcast apps. It is the AFC's turn here in our uh, post-draft reviews and grades. We're not giving letter grades out here on this show, but AFC West up today, and we have a little bit of news first, and also we talked a little bit yesterday, Matt, about the Alex Smith stuff and the uh, episode of E60 that is going to be live today on ESPN or tonight later on ESPN, and Stefania Bell, who you know from your days at ESPN, was on with... Chris Russell, the host of Locked On Redskins, and uh, they talked quite a bit about this. The former Redskin, obviously, former Chief, and we'll get into the Kansas City Chiefs draft today. And it was an interesting conversation. I just want to let everybody know that uh, no matter what team you're a fan of, this Alex Smith story is super interesting. And so you might want to go check out Locked On Redskins and hear the entire interview. Uh, Here's just a little clip, though. And uh, if you're eating lunch, maybe step aside from your lunch for just one second uh, when you listen to this little (laughs) excerpt from Chris Russell talking with Stefania Bell on Locked On Redskins of the injury that Alex suffered. He had an open fracture uh, on the field. And the minute you have a fracture like that, where the bone is, has punctured the skin, uh, you have now opened, as you can imagine, you have an open wound sure. on a dirty field. With uh, When they did surgery, they pulled a piece of dirty sock out from inside his leg. Mm-hmm. I mean, once you create an open wound, the bacteria are introduced. Uh, it's why when we get a cut on her finger, that's even, you know, a little bit deep, we put Neosporin on it. I mean, these are, it is getting someone to surgery as quickly as possible so they can flush the wound and treat it and proactively administer antibiotics is the standard of care for that type of injury. And that standard was met. Matt, I want to take a shower in Neosporin after hearing that cliff. <laughs> Yeah, Stefania is awesome. I consider her a friend, but she made me want to barf there. And I'm a queen. I, I've never talked about this on the air. I don't handle things like that well. I pass out, and I'm a big wuss. That's rough. I mean, I pulled sock out of it was, bleh, you know, let alone. I keep thinking about the Theismann injury, too, and, you know, some of those that are just so graphic. It's really rough. Um, I don't have much to add to this story. I, I urge, I'm going to check it out. I think everybody should. Again, Stefania does awesome work and check out the lock on Redskins, you know, whole situation with this, but ooh, Yeah, that, that is a rough situation. I actually want to move on from that. <laughs> so go, if you want to hear the whole, up, but, and yeah. I, I've heard other clips of the interview and I want to listen to the whole thing and locked on Redskins actually when I'm done here, because I'm super interested about it. And Alex Smith is, you know, somebody that I'm definitely rooting for a really good dude. And, uh, apparently there's even a chance that he could come back and I've seen pictures of what his leg looked like. And it's an amazing story. If he even gets close to where he can play a football game, that I mean, that's amazing with what he's gone through. So I, I really want to see that E60 episode as well. Um, there is some uh, more news about fifth year options getting close to that May 3rd deadline. A couple involving the Tennessee Titans. It looks like a Dory Jackson's fifth year option will be exercised and Corey Davis's fifth year option will be declined. So Corey Davis is going into his contract year now. He's going to make $8.1 million in his final year, his fourth year with the Tennessee Titans after being the number five pick in the NFL draft. Yeah, and Davis, I thought, was going to be a really, really good player. 
and I mentioned, you know, my dynasty ranks we're going to talk about next week or soon. Um, when he came out, I mean, in the dynasty world, rookie drafts, people were taking him ahead of McCaffrey and Fournette and Kamara and all those awesome backs that draft. And it goes down as a, ooh, man, I could have had McCaffrey on my fantasy team for eternity or Corey Davis. Ouch. Another one just actually came down. 49ers just being reported will decline the fifth-year option on defensive lineman Solomon Thomas, who was the third pick in the draft that year. The 49ers pulling off that. I mean, this is John Lynch's specialty, right? Trading down just one spot. Got the Bears to go up to get Mitchell Trubisky. Um, Trubisky, we haven't heard what his fifth-year option situation will be since he's a quarterback. I, I wonder if they're they're going to pick that one up, even though he's been a disappointment as well. But uh, that was one of the easier ones for me that the 49ers were going to decline Solomon Thomas's fifth-year option. Yeah, that doesn't shock you at all, right? I mean, no. we kind of talked about it earlier in the week. Uh, speaking of the Titans, or the, the let's see, yeah, the Titans and the Seahawks both have made multiple offers to free agent defensive end Jadavian Clowney. But, I mean, I don't know where Clowney expects to get the money he's looking for right now. So this is one of those, and uh, apparently, quote, Rossini, this is from ESPN, Diana Rossini said that he is, quote, just not in a hurry to sign. But where's the money going to come from? I don't imagine Seahawks, Titans, teams like that, after the draft, offers don't usually go up for free agents. So is he going to have to settle for another one-year deal and hit the market again next year and hope that the cap goes up and he gets the money he's looking for? Maybe. I mean, it, it's odd how he's handling this, and maybe he's not the most um, easy guy to deal with in this situation. I, I mean, it seems like you'd be jumping on offers now. Um, they've been He's been late to Seattle, which makes perfect sense. I forgot to mention, I do think the Adoree Jackson fifth-year pickup makes a ton of sense. He's an ascending corner. I, I think he could follow number one receivers, move the slot even now with the guys they've added. Um, but the, I've been kind of critical of the Titans. Boy, Vic Beasley's not enough for me to say you upgraded your your edge pass rush, but Clowney would be. Clowney absolutely would be. Another defensive end on the move before we get to the AFC West draft review is Charles Harris. Uh, big disappointment again from that same draft. He has been traded from the Dolphins to the Falcons for a seventh round pick next year. So uh, I don't again another edge player that doesn't really. Um, yeah, it's not huge news. Yeah. Obviously, they didn't. They weren't going to pick up his option, so it's a one-year deal, basically. And I think how these uh, how these often work are. I you know, he was a first-round pick. I mean, I bet Atlanta staff had a pretty good grade on him, and says we'll give up a seventh-round pick to roll the dice on this guy for a year, and maybe our staff and a change of scenery can get more out of him because we liked them not that long ago coming out of college. Yeah, and maybe it's like, well, look, for us, we gave up a seventh-round pick, so if he's just a rotational guy and a pass rusher and gives us a yeah. little bit of depth, then that's fine. But you know, for a first-rounder, that's not enough. So it really changes the the conversation when all you're giving up is a seventh-round pick for a guy to see what you got and a guy who was talented enough to be drafted in round one. Yeah, I mean, it's like buying a Mercedes once it goes off the lot. You know, I mean, it's worth your, it's a lot better deal. So there's a report from ESPN. This just <laughs> we're getting into our rabbit hole if we start talking about this one. But uh, Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers, famously now and forever, Jordan Love, the first round pick of the Packers in the 2020 draft. A lot is going to be continually made of this story. But ESPN's Rob Domofsky said that it was GM Brian Gutenkust, not Coach Matt Lafleur, who's the driving force behind the Packers' first round selection of quarterback Jordan Love. And I believe that, but I also believe 
that if you are Gudenkust and your job is to lead this ship for the foreseeable future, you almost have to choose between Rogers and LaFleur. And because you could either go all in and get him receivers and try to win this thing, or you could, you know, lean towards the coach who you just hired a year ago and loved them and his vision for how football is to be played, which to me is a lot different than Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I don't want to say Rodgers hasn't been complacent in the scheme change. I really don't know that, but the scheme change wasn't as big as I thought. And I think that they realized that either we can be all in with with him, with Rodgers, or we can kind of play this thing that we're a contender hopefully two, three years from now. And um, I'm, I'm looking through my Twitter timeline because I'm going to unleash this on you. I haven't told you about this yet, but the last couple of days I've spent a ton of time building this Excel spreadsheet with a lot of the fun little stats that I like to find, you know, like my t- turnover differential and one score games and special team penalties and stuff like that. And I sent this tweet out yesterday. So if you reverse the results of the Packers one score games in 2019, they would have been eight and eight. So I have kind of mixed feelings about that stat, but it just shows that they played a lot of close games. They got the benefit of the doubt much more than they did. More concerning, only four teams played an easier schedule. The opponent win percentage was only 47% than Green Bay. So only only four teams played an easier schedule when it was all said and done. Also, this one is, you know, is more the most telling to me. And this is how I started building the spreadsheet. Green Bay's defenses, defense allowed 0.2 more yards per play than the Packers offense gained. So I started looking at teams that offense versus defensive point or yards per play um, differential. And the Packers were a 13 and three team. But they were in the negative column. Like, that makes me say they didn't play that great of football, but, you know, they, they got some bounces, and Aaron Rodgers probably pulls out more close games than others. And they also were plus 175 in net penalty yardage. And it's a small thing, but it's back, bound to come back to the future, or back, come back to the mean. So I've been, I said all along last year, I don't think that they were a contending top-notch team, but they did win 13 games. It's a weird situation they're in. That is, and the the report about the GM versus the head coach, that's not surprising. Head coaches are usually looking more immediate about how they're going to utilize players right away, but you can't imagine that the the GM would select a quarterback that the coach didn't like. So the coach the coach had to sign off on it at some point and say, hey, I really like this guy, or else you know, that would be really strange to go up and get a, a quarterback that the coach didn't think that he could work well with. Yeah, the former quarterback coach and offensive coordinator that you hired a year ago. Yeah, yeah. I think he had something to say about it. And <laughs> right. that's really what a good GM should say. Hey, it's on me. I'm the one making these decisions. I'm the guy picking the players. But come on. And sometimes as a GM, you have to do that. You just have to say, look, this is better for us long term. I'm looking at the organization. I have to do it even if, you know, uh, a wide receiver might help right now. Yeah, and he might be right. I'm not saying one side's right or wrong. I just don't think there's close to being a contender when you really dig into the analysis than people think. All right, let's get to the AFC West. We've got the Broncos, the Chargers, the Chiefs, and the Raiders coming up. From an early morning breakfast burrito to a 12-pack of beers while you watch the game, sometimes you just need what you need delivered fast. And yeah, getting those beverages on top of dinner is key. And if you're like me, you probably start thinking about 
what you want to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. You love food. That's why you'll love Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant I can think of right to my door. But Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make life easier with grocery deliveries, convenience stores, clothing stores, you name it. So no more trips to the store, which is so key right now. No more late night fast food runs. You don't have to worry about where you're going to grab lunch. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android. Find your favorites and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code LOCKEDONNFL. That's code LOCKEDONNFL for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. John Elway and the Denver Broncos came away with a really nice haul here. A lot of people giving the Broncos very high grades when it comes to the 2020 NFL draft. And it started with their first selection, the middle of round one, 15 overall. They had the opportunity to pick from all but one wide receiver. Uh, the other, the first wide receiver going in the division in Henry Ruggs. We'll get to the Raiders in a minute. But Jerry Judy, the selection at 15 wide receiver out of Alabama for the Broncos. They went Back-to-back wide receivers, middle of round two, K.J. Hamler, the speedster from Penn State. Then uh, Michael Ojemudia, cornerback from Iowa in round three. They had three third-round picks here. Lloyd Cushenberry, center from LSU, and McTelvin Aguim, a defensive tackle from Arkansas to finish up day two for the Denver Broncos. Then Albert O., Drew Locke's former teammate at Missouri, by the way, Combine darling. Uh, round five, Justin Sternad from Wake Forest, outside linebacker. Natane Muti, guard from Fresno State in round six, who I really like. Tyree Cleveland, Florida wide receiver, the third wide receiver in the draft for the Broncos in round seven. And they followed it up with Derek Tusco, who's a player I really like. Um, sort of a shorter, stubbier, but give it your all pass rusher out of North Dakota State to finish off the Broncos 2020 draft. Big power players. A game's a little bit more of an upfield guy. Mutis had injuries, but when he's right, he is a force. And I think Stranad will, will fix. Will, will get in the mix. Probably more special teams. You mentioned Tuza. He's going to be a rotational guy. But don't forget, they get Bradley Chubb back. Wow. And then Ojemudie. They they didn't take the easiest names to pronounce. Are <laughs> yeah. more of a zone corner. But that system doesn't really put a lot of stress on corners. They just kind of do your job. We'll, you know, we'll scheme around you. So he fits in well there. And the offense is even more fun. I didn't really expect Ojemudia to go that high, like you mentioned, uh, because I didn't know if he was sort of a a man corner that every team was going to like, but he has that length. And like you mentioned, his own corner, I think he's a good fit for that type of role. Lloyd Cushenberry in round three, there's people talking about him in the end of round one. So, you know, a potential starting center there in round three. I always like that. McTelvin Aguim in round three is the opposite of the players I would be trying to target if I was a GM because he was a five-star recruit that disappointed in school. And I feel like sometimes these scouts and GMs are so locked into the process for so long that they follow recruiting. They know who the five-star guys are and they give them extra credit for being five-star high school guys. And it's like, I don't want a guy who was overgrown 16 year old and got over recruited and then disappointed. Give me the guy who was 
a skinny 16-year-old who was under-recruited and then overcame that and had to go, you know, a smaller school route and then overachieved. Those are the players I'd be looking for. So I'm not too sure about that pick and, and him as a prospect. I saw a game all over the board, and uh, I just, in the end, I didn't really love his total body of work there, and so I, I didn't expect a ton from him. But Jerry Judy is the star of this class and obviously what this class will be graded on, and I think they got the best wide receiver in this draft class and an awesome fit for what the, the Broncos are doing. We talked about this early in the week. Our teams, and especially the Broncos, who uh, are playing with one of those teams in their division, our teams copying the Super Bowl the Super Bowl participants from this year. And it's something that's common, and it happens all the time. Uh, a lot of teams out there really targeting speed at wide receiver this offseason. Are they trying to do something that the Chiefs are doing with them in the division? And is that even smart? Because it's nice to try to get a lot of speed at wide receiver, but you don't have Patrick Mahomes. Right. That's a good point. And I think in the end, I give Elway a lot of credit for creating a really explosive a uh, strong environment, young around his quarterback, and I, I don't know if we're gonna, if they're going to be happy in the end if they went all in on lock or lock, but they are all in on lock. I thought that be could be a Winston landing spot or you know some kind of solid backup. But to get to me, and I, I think you agree, Jerry Judy's the best receiver in this class, and you didn't have to trade up for him, and he got him at fifteen. I mean, that's a gift, almost like the CG CD Lamb gift. Hamler, I have mixed feelings about, but. He's going to be a spot player for him. I mean, he's at best their third receiver, and you know speed's important here, and he certainly brings that. Cushenberry at some point is going to start on the interior for them, maybe day one. And Albert O, I didn't like Albert O with buzz of this should be a top 50 pick after he ran a great 40, but kind of like Fant, he's really fast in a straight line, and he's going to threaten defenses deep for a tight end. Right, exactly, and you put him with Fant that they already have there, and then you look at their wide receiver group, so now you have Sutton on the outside, Judy on the outside who can play in the slot, move around, Hamler, your speedy slot guy, and you still have Hamilton there, so you can really see how this wide receiver group, and I like what the Broncos are doing to help out their young quarterback in Drew Locke. Let's go to Twitter. There's a question from Tom who said, obviously we don't know until we see all of these guys on the field, but after probably three good drafts now, has Elway silenced his critics? Um, I'm giving him a lot of credit, but besides recruiting Peyton Manning, not drafting Peyton Manning, do we think the the all-time great quarterback's good at evaluating quarterbacks? It's very lock-dependent. <laughs> yes, that's a great point. It's very dependent on lock, and it's not so much that people have crushed Elway for all the other stuff he's done. It's been that, look, the Hall of Fame quarterback can't draft a quarterback. That's really been the main thing. So if lock hits and locks the guy, then... Absolutely, but it's it's tied to him more, I think, than the rest of the draft classes. Right, and he's a second-round pick, but they didn't have a backup plan this year. They put it all on him. They have extreme faith in him, obviously, and they're going to sink or swim with him. I hope it works out, I mean, but I think it's a big risk. Let's move on to the Kansas City Chiefs, who went running back in round one. They broke the seal on running backs with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. The final selection in round one came back with the speedy linebacker Willie Gay Jr. in round two from Mississippi State. Lucas Niang, nice, I like this one. Uh, the offensive tackle from TCU, I think it's some good value there and really um, uh, drafting a guy who's had some injury concerns and we saw a lot of players who couldn't get those rechecks with their injuries fall in this draft and some of those teams are going to whiff because 
Maybe the injuries are worse, but some of those teams are going to hit on a guy that if they got rechecked, maybe would have gotten a lot higher. And I think Lucas Nang might be one of those guys. Uh, Legereus Sneed listed as a safety, but I think he's going to play corner. Super fast and skinny safety. I mean, he's just, I don't think he's a safety at all from Louisiana Tech. Um, Mike Dana from Michigan, defensive end, and to carry his keys from Tulane, cornerback in round seven. Running back round one is always tough, Matt. Can you sell me on that? Yeah, and you mentioned about the medical, and I just want to throw this out there because I was on a, a Zoom call for the Steelers yesterday with Kevin Colbert, and he said there were 76 players that would have gone back to Indy for medical recheck that we didn't get a, a recheck on, and I'm sure Niang was one of those guys. So um, 76 players in a draft like this is a big deal. Um, I like the Edwards Hilaire pick a lot because of his receiving skills. I mean, he's also a very good running back. It's just kind of, I feel like they're just giving the finger to the rest of the league that <laughs> we're just going to keep adding to our offensive firepower. And last year you needed 38 to beat us this year. You're going to need 40, you know, just, right. we're just going to keep adding, you know, gasoline to that blazing inferno. And I saw a report today, actually, that it, the plan is that, uh, Damian Williams is still going to be the the starting running back and the early down back, and then Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to have an opportunity to compete there and work in as a as a third down guys, which is you know probably somewhat suspected. I mean, expected because uh, Williams could have been Super Bowl MVP, and, and I kind of had him as my vote for Super Bowl MVP with the game he played there. So it's not like they were barren at the running back position. A little bit high for me. I thought maybe they might even be able to get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire closer to the middle of round two. I don't know if he would have gotten to their pick in round two because there was a run on running backs, but they got ahead of that run. And um, and it was, uh, apparently it was Patrick Mahomes' choice. He said, which guy do you like? They said, I like Clyde. And so they said, all right, well, let's draft Clyde for you. Yeah, I mean, I guess he has. Uh, keep that guy happy. And he was Joe Burrow's best friend. I mean, that's for sure. Um, he brings some great traits to the, to the field. And I don't even know. I know he's a running back, but I'm sure they're just looking at him as let's just add one more versatile offensive weapon. And we don't have one like that yet. So I just keep thinking about Hardman, Watkins, Hill, Kelsey, and Edwards Hilaire being my five skill position players with Mahomes in the shotgun. Uh, best of luck, not fun, you know, trying to match up with that five. And real quick to finish this up, I know that you were talking about linebacker there. If one of those linebackers was on the board for him at the end of the first round, it'd be a no-brainer, and you'd run the card in, or you'd call the card in very quickly in, in this case. But yeah. Willie Gay Jr., high upside, really athletic linebacker in round two, I think is a nice fit. He's the athlete they need there. His tape's a little all over the place. I'm not worried about punching out your quarterback. I don't think he's a punch out Patty Mahomes. Um, but uh, his run and hit and athletic traits are awesome. He just needs work with recognition and whatnot. Not a lot of experience, but that's the guy they need on the second level. All right, let's finish this up with the Chargers and Raiders next. The Los Angeles Chargers, they they sat back at pick six and drafted the quarterback that fell to them. In this case was Justin Herbert out of Oregon. Uh, that's going to be what really makes or breaks this draft class for the Chargers. But instead of trading up for a quarterback in round one, which... Uh, was in a lot of mock drafts. They actually traded up from round two, gave up their third round pick. So this was the end of their first two days, was moving up to 23 overall, selecting Oklahoma linebacker Kenneth Murray. They came back on day three, drafted Joshua Kelly, running back out of UCLA in round four. Joe Reed, 
wide receiver slash return man slash could line up in the backfield type of guy out of Virginia. Player I really like in this area, round five, then in round six. Alohi Gilman from Notre Dame, the safety, and then K.J. Hill, wide receiver from Ohio State in round seven. What are your thoughts on this Los Angeles Chargers draft, Matt? I like the last four picks. <laughs> I mean, K.J. Hill has the most catches in Ohio State history and didn't time well, but he knows how to get open from the slot. And maybe a year from now, Keenan Allen's looking old and Hill's going to be a slot machine. I think Gilman's a solid addition, certainly special teams value. You mentioned Reed. He's going to be kickoff returner. I mean, he's kind of a Antonio Gibson running back receiver you know, weapon guy. You just get figure out what to do with them down the road. I always thought Josh Kelly was a little underrated too. And with all respect to Justin Jackson, who I think is a good player, I think Kelly's going to factor in there quite a bit. And I'm sure they don't look at Eckler like he's a every down, you know, total workhorse, 30 touch a game dude. Right. I'm cool with Kenneth Murray, but I'd rather have a pick of 37 and 71. You know, I mean, I think he's a good player. I think he'll be, you know, the quarterback of that defense on the second level for years to come just seemed like a lot to go up and get that guy. And I get sitting at six for Herbert. I just am not a huge Herbert believer. I mean, I said when we recapped round one, I would have taken Isaiah Simmons there or a tackle and called Cam Newton. So I hope Herbert works out. I'm not saying he stinks and he's a bust. He's just not my fave. Yeah, the, that trade-up is is really a shocker to me because they could have sat back at 37, got themselves a nice little uh, wide receiver. They took two wide receivers later. They could have got a nice wide receiver there. They could have got an offensive tackle there and then come back in round three with one or the other. So uh, that was quite a surprising turn of events there for the trade-up for a linebacker, one I did not see coming for the Chargers. And if I thought there was a trade-up for the Chargers, maybe, like you mentioned, maybe going for that offensive tackle, one of those uh, higher upside non-quarterbacks at six, jumping back in for Jordan Love. And that was sort of the scenario I thought if there was going to be a trade-up with the Chargers back in around one. But no, they came back up for the linebacker. That was uh, quite an interesting one there. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about this draft overall for the Chargers. I kind of don't like it, to be honest with you. Yeah, and two first-round like picks is usually something that gets high grades. Right, right. And you only end up with six picks. Um, no line help on either side of the ball, a lot of skill, but late, um, I, I don't, I, it all goes back to Herbert, honestly. I mean, maybe he's a hit and I, and I just don't think he'd be on my team. He would not be a guy I'm super interested in. You mentioned Joe Reed though, and similar to, and I think he's a better receiver than Antonio Gibson. So give me Joe Reed in the yeah. fifth round over Antonio Gibson in the second round. I know Antonio Gibson's the darling for everybody right now, but Maybe overdrafted a little bit for what he is. Give me Joe Reed in the fifth, a lot better value. So that's probably my favorite pick. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Let's go Las Vegas Raiders here. And they went with speed and Al Davis special. There was uh, an endless stream of Al Davis jokes on Twitter after this selection. Henry Ruggs, the third wide receiver, 427 speed out of Alabama with the 12th overall selection. The first wide receiver taken in this draft. They came back with Damon Arnett, cornerback out of Ohio State at 19 overall. Round three, Lynn Bowden Jr. from Kentucky. Again, another one of those wide receivers slash running back slash wildcat quarterback return guy. I like him. Again, better value in round three than Antonio Gibson in round two. And again, I think a better wide receiver than Antonio Gibson from what I saw on tape, which is why I like the value better. Even though I do like Gibson, but I liked him better when he was a fourth round pick than a second round pick. Uh, Brian Edwards, wide receiver from South Carolina, the third receiver of this draft for the Raiders in round three. Tanner Muse, Clemson, 
And look, hey, if you go to Clemson or Alabama, Mike Mayock's going to like you a lot, and he's going to be scouting you very closely. <laughs> yep. uh, the third third-round pick for the Raiders, uh, safety out of Clemson, John Simpson, Clemson guard in round four, and then Amik Robertson, cornerback out of Louisiana Tech, a player I love and a steal of a slot corner. I think he's going to play a long time in the NFL to finish off round four and a total Mayock guy. That is like the guy that you could really envision Mayock going off about when he's doing his senior bowl coverage, when he was a TV guy and not a actual GM going off about that undersized tough guy, cornerback. Uh, Mayock loved those dudes. So I'm not surprised that all the Raiders were all over Amik Robertson. Yeah. One of my favorite players to watch. And I think he fell a little because of medical. He may have been one of those 76 I mentioned because he's a second round player. I mean, slot guys are, um, more valuable than ever. And I'm not sure if you remember, but when I did my cornerback list, I either had him nine, Arnett 10, or Arnett 10 and him nine. I don't remember. But I think it's a conversation who I like better between those two. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, Arnett's big. He's played a lot of man coverage snaps at Ohio State, and that carries a ton of weight with evaluations. But I don't think he's the 19th best player in this draft. I don't think he's a first-round player. No, that that was one of the the true reaches of this draft, and I'm with you. I don't know that I would have had Arnett over Amik Robertson in my rankings. Yeah. I didn't really rank the cornerbacks out one through uh, whatever, but uh, I love Robertson, so they added the value there, but Arnett was definitely an overdraft, a guy who runs four five seven. He's an older prospect. There was some whispers of some off-field stuff. I thought that was a combination of a player who was going to drop like a rock and, and probably be there in round three. So very surprised to see him go in round one. And specifically when you have all these draft picks and you have an ability to maneuver, I think it would have behooved the Raiders to try to get up and get that cornerback and not have to do the dreaded third, fourth corner on the board, maybe they thought A.J. Terrell was going to be there all along. I mean, some panic. I mean, I don't know. I just, I know there's competitiveness with Arnett and again, fits the Mayock profile, but uh, I come, I came away loving the wide receiver combination that they got because they got some speed, high upside guy, but then got a higher floor player with some size later in Brian Edwards and then the, the gadget player in Lynn Bowden. I love that, but Arnett is the one that really uh, hurts me for grading this draft really high. Yeah, exactly. And I think Muse and Simpson will have their roles. They're good value. I got no qualms with that. Simpson's a masher, like they like on their big offensive line. And the three weapons, you know, Bowden, I'm not exactly sure what to call him, just to call him a weapon. I The Edwards picks one of the favorite of, of this entire draft class for any team. Rugs, almost like Arnett with Ar, – Al Davis would have liked the first two picks. You know, the fastest guy in the draft and a big physical press corner. Um and I respect what Ruggs does, and his trump card is like no other. But I'd still take Jerry Judy. <laughs> I mean, with all respect to Ruggs, I mean, Judy's better. One thing about Arnett is he's probably someone who could play early and step in quickly. Henry Ruggs, yeah. I think, has a little bit more uh, developing to do as a wide receiver. But one thing he will have is he'll be the fastest guy in the field whenever he shows up in, in most of these games. Unless, you know, when you're playing the Chiefs, Tyreek Hill will have something to say about that, but they don't have to cover each other. So, you know, uh, whenever you're actually between the lines, you're going to be the fastest guy out there if you're Henry Ruggs. So that'll help the offense immediately, I think, while he does do some development. But I'm with you. They they drafted a wide receiver first who wasn't the top one of the top two wide receivers in this draft in Lamb or Judy, they went with the speed there in rugs. So uh, I think value-wise, they didn't hit on either one of their first-round picks, even though they could both be good players. Yeah, and might be a little early for Lynn Bowden, too, to be honest with you. A um, little bit of a prediction going out a little bit on limb. I bet, Ed, I'm not going to say I bet, but don't be shocked 
if Edwards catches more passes per year than Ruggs. You know, I mean, this yeah. the style of their player, I think Edwards could turn into a high-volume 85-catch-a-year dude, maybe not as a rookie. So, I mean, save this for two years from now, where I think Ruggs is never going to be a high-volume receiver. Again, another player, some injury questions, uh, didn't get to run at the Combine, so we don't know how fast he was exactly, but that's where you get the value if you're the Raiders, trust the tape, and I'm with you. If you were betting between the three wide receivers, the guy that was drafted third at that position for the Raiders, I would bet money on him having the most receptions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially if I can get a get good odds in Vegas on it, for sure. All right, that is the AFC West. Matt, did any of these teams draft well enough to jump those Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. No, but I am open to the fact that if Locke's a good player, Denver could be one of those seven teams. I think Oakland's a little better than people think and Carr's a little better than people think. And I think the Chargers are a potential contender, but I would have handled their offseason a little different from the quarterback perspective. So I think this division's improved. I think so. Yeah, that Denver's that team yeah. that maybe they could make that jump. It's a, it's going to be a fun division to watch to see how they fight for most likely second place in 2020. Mm-hmm. All right. That will do it for the AFC West. We'll be back next week with the rest of the AFC North, South, and East and then a Twitter Thursday. So that's what's on tap next week. But before we get to Twitter Thursday, if you have any specific questions about the rest of the divisions we haven't covered, we'll filter in some mailbag questions there too. So hit me up at BD Peacock on Twitter. Matt is at Williamson NFL. Talk to you Monday right here, Locked on NFL.